Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Primal Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, and anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have a repeat offender, Craig Ballantyne. He is the author of two books, The Great Cardio Myth and The Perfect Day Formula. Uh, if you're interested in hearing the other episode when he was on, that's 112, where we discussed his book, The Perfect Day Formula, a wonderful book everyone should check out. But Craig has been contributing to Men's Health Magazine since 2000, when he created the revolutionary home workout program, Turbulence Training. On his journey to success, Craig has helped over 151,000 men and women use his five pillars of transformation to lose 20 to 50 pounds in his 12-week transformation contest programs. You can read his daily essays on success, productivity, and health at earlytorise.com, and we'll talk about his social media handles later, and of course, we'll put all of those in the show notes to connect you. Welcome to the show, Craig. Thank you so much. It's the first time I've ever been called a repeat offender and smiled about it. I'm really glad to have you back on the show. This is a great book, The Great Cardio Myth. And what a myth it is. You know, it's it's why cardio exercise won't get you slim, strong, or healthy. And then this is the new high-intensity strength training program that will. There's so many aspects to this. You know, we've spoken many times about chronic cardio. We talk about it in, in, a, in a paleo-primal world of that not being optimal. But what I think is that people are very confused about why and why not. And then, like me, I th I'm sure you've been here, even though you sometimes, you might have learned that at one point, then you violate it because it's, it's, it can be hard not to go back into the old paradigms of go, 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 knock out a 40-minute run, and that's going to be the better workout for me today than a 20-minute interval session. And it's a weird thing. It's almost like when we talk about regulated eating times, and it's hard to get out of that constructed pattern. So there's so many aspects to this. I want to dive in and let's define what cardio really is. Tell us what you consider to be cardio. Sure. So what we're looking at here in the book is there's two specifics to it. Obviously, we're looking at aerobic exercise, which can be running outside. It can be swimming. It can be biking. It can be all of that. But specifically, we're talking to people that think they have to go to the gym. They have to get on one of these cardio machines, you know, an elliptical you know, we're really trying to educate the masses. And so I know, you know, Al, you and I are talking to the choir here. You know, we're talking about no cardio and that. And yes, like you said, we sometimes do slip back into it. And I can tell you a story about how I did. But most of the people in the, the regular world are still doing this cardio. So if we actually go to one of these commercial gyms, you'd be shocked at how many people are lined up on the machines, watching television, reading magazines. It feels like it's 1995 again. And most of us would think, I can't believe people are still doing that. But but they are. You know, when I was around in 1995, I, I never thought someone would then use that as a like, hey, back in 19, you know, <laughs> right. and I'm like, damn, I'm, we're getting dated here. Uh let, but let's let's get in a little bit more into what cardio is. So, for example, it's it's not just oh go running on the treadmill for thirty minutes. I think we all understand that that seems like cardio, but it's also working consistently for long periods of time over a certain percentage of your you know heart rate where you are really primarily burning glucose. That's one of its issues. Um, but let's talk about the others because people think just taking a nice long stroll on the treadmill slow or fast but either one of those activities of just the monotony of that is the healthiest way to go, way to and, go. I wanna, and I want to let's start off let's start I off love that you love. brought up gym fix in your book because uh one of my favorite bits uh Dennis Leary in his stand up at No Cure for Cancer from like 20 years ago does a whole bit on gym fix you know jogging's healthy for you jogging's healthy got to land the knees like how did he die he died freaking jogging, you know, and he did. And that's just a real downer. And, you know, that kind of goes to what Mark Sisson has talked about, where when he was young, he grew up thinking, probably like Jim Fix, the more miles you clock, the longer you go, the harder you work, the heart, the better. So 
Get into Jim Fix. Let's talk about him. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad story. And so Jim Fix is from many, many years ago. I mean, he never saw 1995. He only saw the, the 70s. And he was one of these first marathon runners that made running popular in America. And, you know, probably was around at the time that they started the Nike Shoe Company, you know. For, uh, so that's another story of its own. But, you know, Jim Fix died while running on a back road. Now, from what I heard, Jim Fix actually also smoked cigarettes. So, I mean, here's this guy who thinks he can just go and do whatever he wants because he runs. You know, we don't see people smoking cigarettes today, but we talk about this story in the book of how these women ran the New York Marathon. And I found this in the New York Times early last year. And they thought that for every mile that they ran in the marathon, that it equaled uh, that they could go and eat a cupcake. Now, that is so ridiculous. But so many so many people are living this way because, you know, if you do the math, you burn about 100 calories for every mile that you run or walk. Uh, but a cupcake is like 300 or 400 calories. So obviously that's why they were overweight. And it took them almost nine hours to finish the marathon, uh, which is another story in itself. So, you know, most people are going into the gym and they have this cardio confessional mindset. You know, I just ate 2000 calories at Thanksgiving dinner. I'm going to go to the gym on Black Friday and, you know, if I spend 30 minutes on the cardio machine doing a hard cardio workout, I'm A-OK. And that's baloney. In fact, I, I did this funny YouTube video that's been watched a couple hundred thousand times. It's old and I'm not as uh, energetic on it, but I ran on a treadmill as fast as I could. And a friend of mine, Brad Pilon from the intermittent fasting world, he ate a giant piece of pizza and drank a soda while I ran. And when he was done... We looked at how many calories he consumed, which is about 1,200, and how many calories I had burned, which was about 40. And so we, we called it diet versus exercise, and it's a very important thing for people to understand that diet is the most important aspect of your fat levels and your fitness levels. 80% of your body composition is diet alone. Yeah. Probably, yeah. And sorry, but I didn't mean fitness. I meant health levels. Like if you want to live a long life, it's much more important for you to not eat trans fats than it is for you to go and run an hour a day. In fact, it's probably detrimental if you ran an hour a day. And so we go all the way back to, you know, what are these people in these blue zones doing to live a long time? Well, I don't think anybody in a blue zone who's lived over 100 has ever stepped foot on an elliptical machine. So it's not the answer. The answer is in so many other things. Yeah, let's let's get into this um I really like the myth of this fat burning zone. That's another thing too, right? So so let's talk about that and kind of put that on its head. Okay. So the myth of the fat burning zone, every, people may have heard two things. One, it takes 20 minutes until you are burning fat in a workout, which is ridiculous. <clears throat> and second of all, that if you exercise at a lower percentage of your maximum heart rate or your VO2 max fitness levels, that you're burning more fat. And technically that is correct. Proportionally, you're burning more fat uh, calories from fat if you're exercising at 60% of your uh, maximum heart rate than if you're exercising at 90% of your maximum heart rate. But if you're getting, you know, 60% of, you know, 100 calories burned and you only get, you know, 40% of 400 calories burned, what would you rather have, you know, in terms of fat burning? It's obviously you'd much rather have a lower percentage of a much bigger number, or as a, a friend of mine used the analogy, what would you rather have? 1% of Warren Buffett's money, or would you rather have, you know, 50% of my money? And yeah, screw, screw your bank account, Craig. I'll take more Buffett. <laughs> right. Trust me, you'd much rather have uh, 1% of Warren Buffett's money. So, it, you know, people just get hung up on this fat burning zone. And if they go to a, a cardio machine, that's what, you know, the options are here. You can do this cardio fat burning zone or, you know, have some you know, measly interval training option and then manual. And, and so people think, oh, I got to get in this fat burning zone and they click on that button and they basically waste 35 or 45 minutes of their life on this machine, barely burning any more calories than they would if they actually sat on the couch. Because from what I, I understand, if, if a machine says that you burn 300 calories, that is not excluding what you would have actually burned if you just sat in a chair for that same amount of time. And you probably would have burned about 50 to 100 calories just sitting in a chair for that amount of time. And then research that was published in Shape Magazine found that these cardio machines overestimate how many calories are burned. So the elliptical is the worst offender that it overestimated calorie burned by 42%. 
So if you go and do a workout that says you burn 400 calories on an elliptical machine, you probably only burn 300 calories and you could have burned 100 of those 300 calories sitting on the couch. So this is the message we're trying to take to the world to show them all these myths about fat burning zones and you don't burn fat for 20 minutes and you know that, that it's all about calories out will save you from calories in mistakes is so wrong and we just want to save people time money, energy, aggravation, all that stuff with this research. Let's talk about why intensity is important for fat burning. So let's talk then, like what's what's all necessary to, to have the most optimal fat burning? I mean, we're going to go into sort of a regimen and exercise and you have, you know, pictures and workouts in the actual book, but so then what's necessary? What, what If I want to optimize and, you know, then what's the philosophy behind optimal fat burning? What needs to happen there? What components? A really great question. And so you know, we're looking at it at a holistic approach here. Again, it's not just about a calorie readout on a machine. It's about, you know, what is the exercise doing to your hormone levels? And Mark has talked about this so many times over and over again, and all the primal uh, content that he's created. It's so important to have optimal hormone levels. And you don't get optimal hormone levels by running and training for marathons. In fact, there was an article in the New York Times last year. I love reading the New York Times because they're all about running and I, and I basically hate everything published in the New York Times, um, except for the travel section. But, um, you know, the New York Times gets me riled up and they had this profile on this marathon runner, this really top level Amer American marathon runner who had to give up marathon running because his testosterone was totally in the tank. Like it was totally in the toilet. I mean, he had no testosterone. He had no sex drive. He, he was trying to, you know, have a family. And he, you know, he basically ran his testosterone into the ground. And so you know, he had no muscle mass. He probably struggled. You know, if he didn't run two hours a day, he probably would have struggled with his weight. And so most people are struggling with their weight because their excessive cardio program has elevated their cortisol levels. And also, I'm not sure what hormone level it's playing with, but there is some uh, uh, percentage of the population that responds to cardiovascular training by becoming hungrier and so these people are called compensators. And I read about these folks, uh, unfortunate folks, in a study from the UK. I think it was the journal Obesity back in 2007, uh, or sorry, the British Journal Medical, uh, British Medical Journal back in 2007. And they found that there's a certain population that were eating 300 extra calories per day when they went on this 12-week cardio program. And so they gained three to five pounds at the end of 12 weeks. I'm not totally surprised about that. If you're exercising at a high rate and you're burning maybe mostly glucose even at that point, and then you're depleting those reserves afterwards, you're going to be hungry and tired. You're going to need to, and if you're not fat adapted, then you're going to be craving a carbohydrate and probably consume more. I mean, that makes so sense to me. I've, I've been there myself. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that these days. So hormones are a huge part of that optimal fat, uh, you know, burning, not fat, fat burning zone. Here I am using the term fat burning zone, but fat burning system that you want your body to be in. So it's hormone levels. And again, those are not measured by any machine that you use at the gym. Uh, we do need to have the intensity of the training so that it depletes the carbohydrates in your muscle during that training session. And then, and I, I, I use this phrase as far back as 2001, that when you train with intensity, whether it's weight training or cardiovascular or sorry, interval training, you are putting what I use the analogy of turbulence, turbulence on your muscles, just like you, you know, an airplane goes through turbulence flying through the air. And when the airplane is going through the air in turbulence, it's requiring more fuel to fly on a you know correct path. And then after our intense training sessions, we have put our body into turbulence and a stimulus has been put on the muscles. And then in the post-workout session, you know, you've heard the term afterburn. That's where the afterburn increases our post-exercise metabolism. We burn more fat. Our use of free fatty acids is elevated. I've seen that in the literature as well. And we burn more calories after training, even though we didn't burn as many as a, you know, a steady cardio workout during training. And our hormones are also better suited for fat burning this time. Growth hormone is up. Our cortisol levels don't go as high and our adrenaline levels are up. So our epinephrine levels are up and that leads to more fat burning and uh, lipolysis. And it also reduces our appetite compared to when we do cardio and it increases our appetite. So epinephrine is known as the flight as one of the flight or fight uh, uh, hormones. And so if you get really stressed out, most people, if it's acute stress, 
they don't feel like eating. You know, if you hear bad news, you don't feel like eating for most people. I mean, there's some people that, that switch the other way, but most people are like they have that knot in their stomach like, oh, I don't want to eat uh, because of bad news. You know, like somebody passes away in your family and they just don't eat because they, they have that elevated hormone. And so that it's the same hormone that we experience during our training sessions, our high intensity training sessions that reduces our appetite. And so all of that combined, our intensity, our proper hormone uh, milieu, as they say in the scientific literature, allows us to have fat burning, muscle building, often at the same time, even in relatively advanced people. So you see some people gaining muscle and losing fat at the same time. And that's what it's all about with the high intensity, short burst, short and uh, less infrequent workouts or less frequent workouts than what you see in a traditional traditional marathon training program or in a you know do lots of cardio to lose weight program yeah and i want to just stay on the testosterone thing for a minute because i know that that's i have known people uh, who've had this issue um so you know you mentioned the body you mentioned cortisol so obviously increasing cortisol can conflict with with testosterone as well um, but also the stress that your body perceives of your chronic cardio events that, you know, you're running every day or whatever it is that, that stress that your body perceives, I want to, I want to link this right into not trying to, to plug my book, but the thyroid. So really what happens is, is that mm -hmm. that's what happens. So a person who's a marathon runner, right. And they're overdoing everything and may possibly even under eating, but they're certainly over exercising that perceived stress by the body will shut down the thyroid and say, hold on a minute. This person's either running from danger, not getting enough calories, they're stressed out. I'm going to shut down, lower their testosterone, or if you're a female, I'm going to make them infertile or screw up their hormones, or reduce their sex drive, hence the low testosterone, to not make them procreate because right now they cannot handle bringing a child into this world. That's just like the primal instinctual thing that's going on in the background, people. So it really is... You, you're giving this message to your brain that then is really affecting your thyroid. That's the primary regulator and producer of all of your sex hormones, not to mention the cortisol. And I want to go back to the short bursts. The short bursts, like you're talking about, you know, the high intensity or the little sprints, the little that is a great igniter of cortisol in a good way and HGH and, you know, all of these things in a positive way. They're just being tapped and hit. Uh, briefly versus these long overdrawn events where your body then perceives it as a prolonged stress. And and again, there's we're talking about hormones. It, hormone optimization is is ideal, but we all have a say in that. You know, so if you're a guy and you're you're not waking up with erections or you're starting to feel lean muscle mass or or sex drive is lowering, it, you know, or you're getting tired. Mostly with guys, it's like they're tired in the afternoon. They're really having a lot of burnout. That's a good time to go get your testosterone tested. And we've seen it even with Brad Kearns at our own uh, at Primal Blueprint. He he kind of accidentally did maybe some overtraining. He was really into some some speed golf and kind of forgot like, oh, I'm running all the time doing this. And his testosterone went low. And then when he fixed his environment and changed up his routine and really watched it, the testosterone went back up to high school levels and he's 50. So this stuff can change and be reversed in six to eight weeks, guys. So, you know, it's not like if you go down this road and you screw up, you can't come back. It's just that you have to participate in this because if you continue this regimen, you're never going to get back that testosterone reset, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, well, first of all, the fact that you use the, the phrase speed golf in a cardio interview is awesome. I mean, that is next level <laughs> awesomeness. Um, but I'm really glad you brought up the thyroid stuff, L, because, I, you know, we do talk about it in the book, but I am certainly not the super expert in it. And so I was really glad to hear your opinion, your take on it, because it's so important to, to for people to know that, you know, that's another hormone that gets influenced by overtraining in the cardiovascular world. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And I personally gave myself hypothyroidism many years ago because of this paradigm, you know, so it, it, I am a victim of it happening and it's, you know, didn't know if I had, I known what I know now, I would have stopped in my tracks and changed my routine. But because at the time that paradigm was still low fat, low carb, go, 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 oh, you know, what a terrible combination, huh? It is. Um, let's, I, I want to get into, let's talk about skinny fat and, and skinny runners, but let's go into skinny runners first. Cause People do see runners and often they're straight line, lean and skinny. You know, there's a lot of them that have that classic profile of a runner's body. And so people think if I need to lean out, I need to start running. And clearly we can, let's get into all of the injuries and how runners are chiropractic, you know, chiropractor's dream, right? But 
let, let's get into that because that's just such a, it's a misconception when you see that and then you think that's what I have to do to get skinny. Absolutely. I mean, you bring up a great point and there's so many great points in that, uh, you know, but first of all, listen, if people think that runners are skinny, go to a marathon and look at the starting line, not of the first group, but of, you know, like the third wave of people that are going out and you're like, oh my goodness, these people are going to go and run a marathon. This is the worst thing they could possibly do for their bodies because, you know, they're 30 pounds, 50 pounds overweight. And for some reason, running a marathon has become some bucket list item, which is ridiculous because it's... I don't understand that. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm going to put on my bucket list something that is going to be super boring. I'm going to do it for four to five hours straight. And I'm going to spend, you know, half a year training or more training for this thing and wasting so many hours. And that's on my bucket list. You know, so many people are going to look back at life and go, oh, my goodness, what did I do that for? Because here I am hobbling around uh, just to get to my deathbed because I, you know, beat my knees up so bad. And so there is this cardio addiction. I mean, really, cardio is exercise bulimia going all the way back to what I talked about before with the cardio confessional. People think I can have this, you know, get out of diet jail free card because I use I do cardio because I'm a runner, because I jog, you know, because I have an elliptical machine in my house. It's not the, it's not true. You just can't do it. And every time you go and do a long cardio workout, you are putting yourself at risk for injury because think about this. I, I like to use this little analogy. You know, when you go and do a cardio workout, let's say you run for an hour, you're probably looking at about thirty six hundred of the same repetitions. Now, would you go and do 3,600 leg extensions? You know, that's, well, first of all, you wouldn't do leg extensions, but would you even think of that? No, because you, you know that every, if you have like a slight biomechanical problem, if you do something 3,600 times, it magnifies it. Just like when you were a kid, you probably saw the cartoons of, you know, a kid with a magnifying glass, magnifying the sun's rays on a little plastic toy soldier. And so that's what's going on in your muscles. If you're Right leg is half a centimeter, half an inch longer for my American friends. I'm Canadian, so I was using centimeters. But if it's half an inch longer for uh, than your other leg and you're running on that and doing that 3,600 times, well, there's going to be compensation. Your hips are going to get beat up. Your back is going to hurt. You know, your one of your ankles is going to go wonky. And, you know, I'm not a chiropractor, so I can't tell you which one. But, you know, you're going to have some serious problems. And, but because people are addicted to cardio, both uh, physically addicted to it, you know, in that, you know, they like the runner's high, but you can get the runner's high from other exercises. You can get mental clarity from other exercises. And they are also mentally addicted to it, thinking that if I don't do uh, 500 calories worth of cardio today, that I'm going to gain 30 pounds overnight. And I see this all the time. And, and I see this in fitness instructors all the time. I see this in physiotherapists themselves. There was one gym that I trained at in Toronto when I was a, a full-time personal trainer where a physiotherapist could not walk properly because she was so addicted to spin classes that her hip flexors were so tight that, you know, she walked with like, she had a pickle in her butt all day long. And it was, it was <laughs> it's like, she has to ride a bike everywhere. Cause now she can't walk. She right. Can't right. You know, she's riding a bike around the studio to, to help her clients. You know, it was so sad. Um, you know, and, and I understand that, you know, spin classes are fun for some people, but you need to think holistically about your training. You need to think holistically about your recovery and you need to back off on the cardio so that you don't get into those situations where you have a very expensive physiotherapy bill. Yeah. And not to, you know, obviously all forms of exercise are, are applicable in life. But, you know, when I look at something like spinning or excess cycling, look at a human being in that position. It's not right. <laughs> it's not right. Man. I, and I see them all the time because I live off of a, a Mulholland Highway, very famous mountain road, and lots of cyclists are out constantly. And I'm just, every time I drive by them, I'm like, really? I don't, how is that? I don't know. That seems like the worst ergonomic position. You think about people in the workplace who are hunched in the same position, getting repetitive strain injuries, of which I'm a victim of too. I've, I've gotten that before uh, in my arms. Uh, and then, you know, you get on a bike, you're bound to crouch in that position. I've never seen a human naturally out in the world look like, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, you know, five, six days a week of that same position and you're bound to get a problem. Uh, I really like that you mentioned the one leg being a little bit shorter than the other, because if most people aren't aware, that's, it's often the case. A lot of people, my, myself, a chiropractor, you can be a little bit off and it's not to say that you can't fix that. But like you said, if you're constantly running 
and doing that, then you're bound to have a compensation issue on the other side or, or something like that. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned the the bike riders. I, I have an, a, an apartment in Denver, Colorado, which is where my business is. And I don't live there full time, uh, but I do spend a lot of time there. And we drive out in the mountains and, and they are addicted to cycling in Colorado as well. And one time I saw this guy whose arm was in a sling biking up a steep you know, incline, steep uh, road, you know, it's very dangerous for him, but he was a cyclist and he had to go and get his workout in, even though he was, his arm was in a sling and he could barely balance going up this steep incline. It's just, people are so irrational. But then he was rewarded, you know, they're like, you're killing it. Check you out. You're a bad, <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I made it through, you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of downsides to it. And, and when I first started with my, uh, fitness business online and helping people, I wrote this pro, this little ebook called the dark side of cardio. And this is going back to 2006. Uh, and it, you know, so it's been a message that I've been trying to get out for even longer than that, since I started writing for men's health in 2000. And it really is, there is a dark side to it. There's so many levels of dark side to it, but on the same side, as you mentioned, if somebody wants to go for a trail run once in a while, I don't want to say you can't go for a trail run because there's so much greatness in that. There's nature there, you know, it, it just feels good to run and it's much better than, you know, going for a, a trail ride in a, in a truck or something, you know, for your health. And so there is a time and place for some stuff, but we want to look at this in terms of where does it fit in? Just like there's a time and place for high intensity workouts, but just because you love that stuff doesn't mean you should be doing it every day because, you know, the other extreme L, the other chiropractor's dream is CrossFit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who goes to CrossFit? And physical therapists are telling me too that they're seeing more and more people because that's too much high intensity. Um, unless you're at that level where you really want to compete in CrossFit, then you obviously are going to have to have a different carbon take and you're going to have to be on a different paradigm. But you know, doing CrossFit five, six days a week when you're a non, you know, non-professional athlete, oh my gosh, problems on the horizon. I, I would say that the chiropractor I know is, um, makes more of his money from, even from CrossFit these days than he does from runners who overdo it. So it, so it is something to consider. So, you know, I got, I got one CrossFit interjection. I, I want to interject on one CrossFit. I had a, a friend who really wanted to finally get into shape, a very tall person who was not, you know, agile really, but really wanted to do it, called me up and said, hey, uh, I'm thinking about doing CrossFit. And I said, hey, listen, you know, CrossFit is po it can be positive, but I, here's my warnings. A lot of people get injured. You've got to be very, very careful. And it can be too intense, especially if you're really not even exercising right now. So he's like, no, no, it's a beginner class. They're going to show you everything. I go, okay, I go, just hear, hear my warning, you know, be careful. The second class, he broke his ankle. Oh my gosh. And, you know, so here's the thing. It's not just like muscular injuries, right, that can happen in CrossFit. You know, if you're jumping into something like that and you're not used to that and you're doing jump roping and all this agile different stuff, you know, you can trip and fall too. You know what I mean? Like it's it's also a coordination thing as well. You know, it's not just the the chronic, you know, high intensity, but you know, people have got to be careful. So now that person's out of commission for quite a while, totally. you know, and, um, second CrossFit class, man. And I was like, Oh, I feel like I jinxed him. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but, but let's, I want to get into like, again, the, the skinny fat thing, you know, with people, because a lot of people go, Oh, I, I, and I've talked about this before in the podcast, you may look at someone and go, I wish I had her body or his body, but you, what you may not know is that that person is pre-diabetic and they are skinny fat and they have a real glucose problem and they're not healthy. You know what I mean? Where the person with a little bit more weight that you may not, I mean, not to say that you can't be skinny and healthy, but there are often people that we look at and we think we want to model. And I always tell people, hey, man, I'd like to see their blood work first. Right. And hey, here's something that most people don't ever think about. And you might not even have thought about this. And we've just talked about the cyclists, but there's research showing that people who run outside on roads are consuming elevated levels of pollution and toxins. And who knows what these things are doing to them. So not only do you have somebody who's skinny fat, possibly has messed up blood work, who has, you know, joint injuries, who has hormone levels that wouldn't allow them to become anything better than skinny fat levels. But now they have all these toxins in their body because they are basically sucking an exhaust pipe for 30 to 40 minutes every single day when they're out running on the side of the road, you know, that is not going to have a happy ending. No, it really isn't. Can you give us, um, 
you have a few, but give us a few real world examples of some people, you know, who uh, we talk about that woman in the beginning of the book, right? And that transformation was pretty amazing. Can you talk about that story? Let's give an example of a before and after. Sure. So the the person that we do talk about in the book, her name was Catherine Gordon, and she's really awesome. She's become uh, she's gone from a, a woman who is an an actress in her her career overweight, struggling with sugar addiction and trying to lose weight with cardio and not having any results. And actually she went to the grocery store. This was the lowest point in her life. She went to the grocery store and the checkout clerk said, ma'am, do you qualify for the senior's discount? He thought she was with her grandson, but it was her son. And she was only 44 years old at the time. So it was a huge blow to her. And then, yeah. And then, and then, you know, she found my uh, transformation contest that I've been running since 2007. She entered the second one and she, you know, changed to high intensity training, shorter workouts. And she won that one. And she, her weight loss uh, transformation has been featured on ABC. It's been featured all over the place. She's become a personal trainer. Now she has a studio. But, you know, like most people, she got sucked into this romantic idea of cardio and, and got into the Zumba um, world of all things and then realized, oh my goodness, I'm gaining the weight back. And then she decided to go back to high intensity training, higher intensity training and had results. And we see this all the time. And, and back when I was personal trainer full time, you know, I used to love when clients came to me who were healthy, but struggling with their weight and who did nothing but cardio because I could look like this magician in 48 hours. I would give them one, you know, turbulence training style workout with some superset resistance training followed with some basic interval training. And they would feel for the next two days, not just not muscle soreness, but they would also, they would feel like their metabolism was elevated for the next two days. I mean, they'd never felt that kind of post-workout sensation and they would think, oh, my goodness, this guy is like he must have some dark arts here because he is a voodoo master with workouts. And they would you know, forever be a, a fan of mine because all I had done was taken them from slow, boring and, you know, easy intensity and put them on higher intensity program, built their strength and got them results, had them feel muscles that they had never felt before. And so we see that all the time now. And, we, we, you know, when people change their diet, because, yes, they have to change their diet when they do intense training, they will see rapid results. They're the type of people who, you know, lose five or 10 pounds in a couple of weeks. And they're like, you know, you don't you don't hear about that um, legitimately a lot. But it does happen when they go from low intensity, to high intensity, and they just get into that world. And then we just say, you know, we have to dial them back. Like you said, with the CrossFit people, just don't do too much of it. Just realize that three good workouts per week is all you need. And then, you know, the rest of the time I like to tell people do stuff you love, you know, from what I understand, Mark loves to paddleboard and he does that a lot. Hey, does ultimate Frisbee on Sundays. Right. You know, live life. That's, that was uh, one of the hidden reasons that I wanted to create my program because you know, you see people in the gym and they were emailing me and they still email to email me to this day that they're in the gym five to six times per week for 90 minutes. And and I look at the computer when I see that and I kind of go cross eyed because I can't believe people still do that. And I feel so bad. I mean, you got kids, you got hobbies, you got you know, you're sleeping six hours a day so that you can get into the gym for 90 minutes. But life doesn't have to be like that. And so what we want to do is make this a holistic approach, short, high, high intensity workouts stay active on your off days with things you love that incorporate people and experiences and memories. And, and you can live a great fit, healthy life and look fantastic with this approach. And that's what we want to share. Yeah. And the thing, you know, one of the things I want to just throw, I want to throw out a couple of things. First of all, um, with, with Catherine and her Zumba, you know, I had the same thing happen to me with hot yoga. So, you know, there's the, right. Cause there's this, there's this, this philosophy of like, okay, well, I'm going to be sweating the hell, right. I'm going to be burning all the, right. You know, you have this thing like, oh, I'm going to sweat this all out. I'm, my heart rate's so high. This is going to be like a calorie fat blaster. What happens is, is, you know, I did it a few days a week and it, I got fatter and I was tired and sore after the workouts. Cause a, I've just depleted everything of glucose. I've, you know, over, overdone it. And I, I got fatter and that's what happens with people. It's also a, an adrenal blowout, blower outer, you know, if you do it too much. And so, <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes we think that these intense, sweaty, you know, running, whatever it is uh, for long periods of time is what's going to do it. And I love that you mentioned that. I mean, I have wasted so much time in my life. If you really go to the gym, spend 90 minutes in, out, shower, by the time you're done, you've spent three hours of your damn day work, you know, on your workout. And then also this philosophy of, um, 
we touched on it earlier, this, it's like the cupcake per mile. I will admit that one time I ate an entire box of Krispy Kreme donuts with a friend and then we went on a five hour hike. <laughs> we were like, we were like, we have no choice. This is the only way we're going to get out of this one. But, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's funny because the philosophy behind that is how much can I eat and get away with it? But that's the philosophy you have when you are on a glucose sugar burning train. When you are satiated and you're fat adapted, you're not looking at food that way. In fact, it's a totally different paradigm. So this this cardio thing will throw you into kind of an eating disorder at some point. It will it will beget the sugar addiction and the hungry every couple hours. It's it's going to take you down that road. Well, one thing I'll add to that, uh, L, is that if you if you just look at the mentality of somebody who's on that road versus the mentality of somebody who's even let's you know there are positive things about CrossFit. And uh, not just because they have uh, they've had an entire generation of attractive women wearing knee high socks, but there is there is positivity to to CrossFit. And so if you look at that, you know, uh, donut day that you had, you were thinking, how can I break this down? How can I get my body to break, you know, the, the calories down? And that mentality leads to how can I break my body down? And that's what happens when that's you do right. cardio. It's all breaking down your body. It is a very catabolic environment. Catabolic meaning breaking down. You're on. You're trying to go uh, low calories, and you're going high energy expenditure, and that is a catabolic environment. And you, you look at the people who run and win marathons. That is a catabolic body, and you don't want to. Look, no one wants to. I don't think anybody wants to look like that. So what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, you know, yeah, when you're in a catabolic state, then you have to work harder to maintain that muscle. And then you constantly have to keep up where if you're fat adapted and you're not in that, you can go a couple of days without working out and your muscles won't deteriorate. You know, you, you can retain it. So it's, it's just if for lean muscle mass and muscles for guy, men and women, that's what we want to do. Um, yeah, you, you just can't maintain muscle in a catabolic state period. So if you're you know, doing that approach, but the, going back to what the CrossFit is uh, beneficial for is it, it's, it is in a way about building the body up, you know, building the strength up, building the muscle up. And so when someone does CrossFit properly, they look great. They feel great. They are strong. They are really great performers if they don't take it to extremes and then they have a relatively healthier, I would think, approach to eating in that they think, okay, I am here to eat, um, you know, delicious food to fuel my body, to build my body up, to put curves in all the right spots in, in is something that I've always said. And there's very few endurance athletes who look at their, their nutrition that way. I mean, maybe some high level uh, performers who are like, yes, I fuel my body so that it doesn't break down. But most people are on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. And that paradigm, getting back to like the eating the donuts, you know, and then like trying to go work out or, oh, I ate a ton of cupcakes. I'll just do an extra hour in the treadmill. What people aren't factoring in there, um, and this is where athletes come in too, because we've known several athletes who great percentage of body fat, very active, seemingly no issues, but they're pre-diabetic. So here's the thing. Yeah. You can down those boxes of donuts and you can keep doing that and then burning it. But every time you're doing that, you still are tapping the pancreas. You are listening that insulin response. And over time, no matter how fit you are, no matter how many times you burn off that box of donuts, uh, you're still going to have eventually an issue with your insulin. Do you know what I mean? And that whole entire system. So it's kind of a false uh, get out of jail free card to think that you can just do this. And there's where the athletes are coming in because they're like, you know, I ate healthy, did all this run, but just the carving up before the run, even though they were burning it, you might be quote burning it, but that still is not uh, talking about tapping this insulin over here. You don't want to be doing that like that. And that's where they will run into problems eventually and get pre-diabetic. And then they're like, how'd this happen? I'm a, I I run, you know, I run, I do this, I'm fit. I just happened to des- a couple of desserts every night, but you know, I mean, and, and they don't even know, and they don't even have symptoms of it. But the, the blood work in their body is saying, hey, you're ingesting too many carbohydrates, period. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would read articles about these marathon uh, tra- uh, runners on the American team, and they'd be like, yeah, right after you know a run, I go and eat ice cream out of the, car- uh, the cardboard box. I'm like, okay, that is probably going to catch up with you someday because you know, you'd be like an offensive lineman who retires from the uh, NFL. And he's like, I still eat like I'm in the NFL, but I don't, you know, burn 3000 calories in two days. Yeah. You can't, you know, you obviously can't keep that up. And like you said, L people are going to suffer for it. And if I can just toot my own horn here for a second, I did one of these um, executive medicals on the weekend 
it's like four hours of blood work and a cardiovascular stress test and, you know, some basic body weight exercises and all of these things. And I, you know, I don't do any slow traditional cardio, but I basically, I finished the, you know, they have five levels of the cardiovascular stress test. And they said, hardly anybody ever finishes it, but I finished it and I could have done another level. And my resting heart rate is, is actually so low that it scares people because it's 40. Beats what is your resting heart rate? It's 40 beats per minute. And that's athlete, that's athlete level. That's serious athlete level heart rate. Yeah. And, and, you know, my HB1AC uh, levels, uh, which is like a really good um, indicator of your blood sugar sensitivity, very low. All these, you know, my blood. What was that? I'm just curious. What was your HbA1c? Uh, I, they measured it as a percent, and it was like in the mm-hmm. one or two percent. And they said as long as it's you know six under six point two five percent. I'm doing this totally off memory. Actually, the stats of most doctors and stuff are are a little bit incorrect. You really want five point two or below. Anything above five point two is sort of a 200% increased chance of diabetes and some other problems. So when people are at like 5.4, that's kind of saying, all right, you know what? You need to look at your carbs. And if someone gets up to 5.7, which is what I was at at one point, that's saying uh, you're pre-diabetic. And if you don't stop now and figure this out, you are headed towards diabetes. And 6.0 is and above is usually like you're got type two. Yeah. Mine was two something. So I was very low. And then that's amazing. <laughs> so, and everybody really should get that test if you're worried or you can't lose weight. Yeah. And then they said, uh, you know, they looked at my HDL and they, they said, I don't think we've ever seen somebody with HDL this high in here because, um, I'm in Canada. So they might've measured it on different, uh, units, but they were, they're measuring it around, you know, their total cholesterol was like, you know, if you're above 6.5, units. And then my HDL was three units or whatever the, the units that they were just like, wow, this is so high. And it actually made my total cholesterol look like it was high, but it was because 50% of it was HDL. And so I, I did all these tests and, you know, I, I did it. I, I mean, I, I knew that most of the people who do these tests uh, f- through this executive physical company are not in great shape. I mean, most people are going for the cure and not the prevention like I was, but I, I just love my uh, physical training statistics. And so I wanted to do it young and have a baseline. So I knew that I would be at the top level for most of the tests, but um, they just weren't used to seeing somebody in there. And they said, well, you know, uh, do you do a lot of running? And I'm like, no, not really. I just wrote a book about how you should never run. So no. Um, and then, and then one girl, uh, she gave me the ultimate insult. She asked me if I did CrossFit. Nah, but I know a little bit about exercise. Yeah. And we hey, look, we, we sponsor CrossFit athletes. We're not, I mean, look, no one's anti-CrossFit, but I think what we're anti is the addiction level that people have jumped onto it because we know that that's dangerous. And we've seen that that's happening to people. So that's really the, it's, it's the misuse of it. I think, you know, obviously that we're talking about for, for the last part of this, I want to get into the details. Now you do have pictures of yourself and others like doing workouts in the book, but what does this look like then? Okay. What the hell does this look like? I want you to tell me, what do I do now? If I want to switch this up, what might be the way to go? I'm already athletic, a da da da. Like I, I, I have it, you know, I'm not starting from square one, let's say, but what do I do then? What does my workout look like? That's a great question. And so in the book, we talk about a lot of these four minute workouts, because one of the studies that I found in 2012 showed that women who did you know, just body weight circuits on the 2010 system. It's, you know, it's kind of like the Tabata system. Um, you know, they had the same boost in aerobic fitness as people, as women who did 30 minutes of slow cardio. So you can do four minutes of body weight exercises and have the same increase in your VO2 max after eight weeks as if you ran 30 minutes a day, four days a week. And so that's what a lot of the workouts are in the book. They're, they're probably not or someone who's you know listening to this uh, show as being their main workout. There might be something they add on once or twice a week to their main workout. Um, they're really great for traveling. So those were the bodyweight aspects. And then we talk a bit about the metabolic resistance training, a little less, but still we get into it about you know superset training and you know how do we use kettlebells and all this type of stuff. But I do get a little bit of information in there about my ultimate training, which is three times a week, 30 minutes, if you want to build muscle and burn fat. And I've been, you know, talking about this since 2001 with turbulence training, we're going to go in, we're going to pick four basic exercises. We're going to stick in a repetition range of about eight 
you know, so it's a little bit lower than what the average person is using in the gym. Maybe not people listening to the show, but if it's lower reps, are we talking heavier weights? So is this, is this like, uh, you know, if, if I'm looking at one extra, like give, give an example of an exercise and what I might do there. Right. So you're looking at using, let's say a, a barbell squat, you're, you're going to use a weight that you're comfortable doing nine to 10 times and use it for eight repetitions. So you're not going to go to failure because I did some research when I was a graduate student that showed you can activate all your muscles without going to failure. So we're going to hit that repetition range. And there was a study that I found in 2001 that greatly influenced me that showed uh, it was women doing a resistance training circuit at eight reps and, and then doing the same exercises, but at 12 reps. And they found that the women had an increased calorie burn after exercise and that afterburn period when they did the eight repetition sets. So, we, you know, aim for eight repetitions, something that challenges you around that. Um, you know, not that 12 reps is really that high, but, you know, it's probably better to stick around eight. Plus, you get stronger, you build a little bit more muscle, I think. And so that's what we'll do. We'll do, you know, something and we we do non-competing supersets or a four exercise circuit. So I use the phrase. What's a superset for people listening or like, I don't even know what that great is. Great question. I was just about to say my little non-competing supersets, but I'll back it up one step further and say a superset is a pair of exercises done back to back. So you might do. A very simple thing is like a push up and a pull up back to back. That's a superset. But we're going to do them in a way that is what I call non-competing. So it means that all the muscles that you use in the first exercise pretty much get to rest when you do the second exercise. So a really great total body circuit or total body superset uh, workout would go like this. Barbell squats first for eight repetitions, then a pull up for eight repetitions, and then um, if you were doing this as a superset, you would you would go through that up to three times. And then your next superset would be something like a dumbbell bench press. And if you're advanced and you have good technique, you could then in this superset, you would pair that with a kettlebell swing or a dumbbell Romanian deadlift. Or if you're not advanced, you would do something like a stability ball leg curl or maybe a dumbbell reverse lunge as your next exercise. And then you, if you didn't want to do them in a superset fashion, which is two exercises at a time, you could do that as a circuit. So barbell squat into the pull-up, then into the dumbbell chest press, and then into the uh, second lower body exercise, let's say dumbbell reverse lunge. And then you'd rest and repeat that circuit again. So it's non-compete. The speed matter here. Great question. So just before I get to that, just to explain the non-competing, as you see, as you, if you do a dumbbell chest press or if you do an advanced push-up, you could do decline push-ups or handstand push-ups, whatever, you know, if you're super advanced, you're, you're using your pushing muscles, but then you go into the dumbbell reverse lunge, which requires grip strength and lower body strength. Now, I wouldn't use something like a pull-up paired with a dumbbell reverse lunge because it's going to be hard for you to hold the dumbbells in the second exercise. So that's what I mean by non-competing supersets. We always want to have got it. One, uh, you know, one group rest while the other works. So here's how we break that down in terms of the speed of the exercise and the speed of the circuit and the rest periods and all of that. So I just like people to use a very controlled exercise pace. Just be, you know, let's be conservative. You know, take two seconds to lower yourself in the squat, come up nice and strong for one second, just basic like that, and we'll do our eight repetitions and then. Maybe we'll take 20 seconds of rest before we go and do the pull-ups, and then we'll rest about a minute before repeating that superset up to two more times if you have resistance training experience. If you haven't lifted weights in two months, then you're only going to do one set, and then next time you can come back in and do two sets. But don't go in and do three or four sets, uh, supersets, because you're going to be very, very sore. The muscle damage is going to be you know, to the point where you're it's past the point of diminishing returns. And we're looking at, you know, what, 20 minutes, half an hour for this, this kind of program, three days a week. And you do dial out and actually you show photos in your book of the actual exercises and, you know, so people can really get a visual there. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and so it's, you know, depending on how much, uh, Warm up you need. I mean, I, I call myself, uh, an old man now at 41. And so I, I, you know, from sport injuries, I have some stuff that requires a little bit more warm up. So, you know, I do my old man warm up, I call it, which is body weight mobility stuff, a little bit of foam rolling. And that takes anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, I really give myself a good warm up before I do my workout. So, you know, someone's not going to go and jump into it. But if, you know, otherwise they might need they have, There's a five minute body weight 
warm up included in the book. They would do that. Then they'll probably look at about 20 minutes for the resistance training. And then we can do the four minute body weight metabolic circuit at the end. And so, yeah, you are looking at about 30 minutes for your build muscle, burn fat session. It goes against, again, like the social convention, right? It's like, I can't possibly get a benefit out of a 20, 30 minute, you know what I mean? That, that hits the head. And it's like, but if you try it, I mean, this happened to me with sprints. I, I hate running. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, it, it gets short bursts, but I'm, I'm not a runner, never have been, I find it boring. And the sprinting thing, when it came around with primal, I was like, ah, it's going to be hard to get me on board. <laughs> and then, um, I, I added it in, I had hit some plateaus and I probably was doing still chronic cardio and I added that in. And it's amazing what some, how quick something so short can then yield the results it does. It is unbelievable. Once you try it, even if you cut your normal cardio routine and did uh, your did the cardio myth, you know, workout, you would see, you would see and feel it after ten days. You would go, I see that that's better and it's different, and my muscles are building here and here. It, just try it, right? I mean, just try it for like a week or two because the results come quickly. I mean, after a sprint session the next day, you're like, ooh, my leg, you know, it it. It, it, it's miraculous. And then it changes your whole world because you're like, really, this is all I have to do? Yeah. We just want people to have that all or, or nothing mindset because when I was doing so much stuff with Men's Health Magazine, I'd be getting these emails from, from young men who are like 28 years old. They think that they're never going to be able to get back in shape. And I'm serious. These are like, you know, the, literally the cries for help. The guys think that they could never get in shape again at age 28. And they would say, I don't have, you know, an hour to go to the gym. I'm like, it doesn't have to be an hour. You can get, you can do something in five or 10 minutes. Like it, you know, I, I would, for a while there, I was really busy with travel and I would go and do this density squat workout where I would go into the gym and I would go right to the squat rack and I would do the barbell for, you know, 20 reps. I would put on 10 pounds. I would do 15 reps. I would put on 25 pounds on each side. I'd do 15 reps. I do, you know, with absolutely no rest, just enough time to put the weights on 135 for 12 reps, 185 for 12 reps. And then I might do one more set of 205 for six reps. And then I'd back it down a, a couple of sets and I'd be in and out of there in seven or eight minutes. And I mean, that is a harder leg workout than most people will do in an hour. And that is something I don't do all the time, but if I absolutely have to get something done in a short amount of time, you can do it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, Bobby Maximus. He he just wrote a book for uh, for Men's Health in Rodale. He's really extreme uh, about working out, but you know he'll show you how you can do 200 push-ups in a day. You know, five here and five there, or use this push-up grid for 20 minutes. I mean, he's just showing you how much amazing work you can get done in a short amount of time. And he's somebody I really respect in terms of that message out to the world, because that's the message that we need to take. It doesn't have to be all or none hour in the gym. It can be five or 10 minutes at home and you can have the improvements that you need in your hormones, in your blood sugar and in your muscle mass and in your fitness. Yeah. And, you know, on the cover of your book, you know, you have a little a bit there that says shed, shed pounds in four minutes a day. That sounds gimmicky, but it's, it's not, it's really not. No. And in fact, uh, you know, my friend, Marty Jabala, who who is a researcher at the same school that I went to back up in Canada called McMaster, he wrote a book that is just went out and it's called The One Minute Workout. So he, uh, you know, up to me by, you know, four X fold. Um, but on <laughs> the one minute and I'm down to like the two second workout. Right, right, right. You know, just really, really extreme electroshock for two seconds and, you know, you've burned some calories. So, uh, yeah. So in the four minute intervals, um, so in this one, we go and look at, you know, research from, uh, Australia that's looking at the interval training sessions. And they found the people that were doing the short burst intervals, eight seconds on 12 seconds off, they were getting fat burning results that were greater in fact, the, the people, not just greater than the people that did cardio, but the people that did cardio didn't actually lose any weight. And so, you know, it's these short burst intervals can have a major impact on your body composition and on your fitness levels in, in, in life applicable ways is like, is the way I like to say it. So if you do pushups and burpees and jumping jacks, uh, instead of running on a treadmill, you're going to increase your aerobic fitness, but you're also going to increase your ability to do pushups and you know, jumping and, you know, climb stairs and all the stuff that, you know, jogging or an elliptical machine will never help you improve. How do you personally 
I don't know how to word this, I guess. Um, just what, what do you do for flexibility? So obviously you can do these exercises and not to say they're not functional or, or stagnant, but again, what do you do for you in terms of limberness and flexibility? Are you just doing a little stretching at home? Do you do throw in some yoga here and there? Like, what do you do to keep limber and fluid and flexible, you know, versus just these short workouts? Sure. So most of my flexibility and mobility comes through that old man warm up that I do before uh, my training sessions. And so that will include um, a lot of upper back mobility and then some static stretching for the chest, which I, you know, when I was younger, I had, uh, you know, bad rotator cuffs and, and I'd have to go to the chiropractor for active release on my chest all the time. I haven't gone in two years because of this you know, regular approach. I do a little bit of foam rolling, not a lot, but just a little bit. And then I mostly do dynamic mobility and not static stretching. Although I do some static stretching for my hips, which are a little bit tight, probably from sitting too much, um, which is what most of us have to deal with. So there's probably not more than six static stretches in my program. And it's mostly based around the hips and my chest. And then most of the other mobility stuff is dynamic range of motion, proper lunges, uh, you know, one leg, uh, deadlifts, you know, single leg Romanian deadlifts for that stretch in the hamstring with, you know, just body weight only. And so going back to that test that I did recently, one of the, one of the tests is a hamstring flexibility test. They only do one lower body test for, um, flexibility and somehow that tells them everything, but they look, you know, my flexibility was better than you know, it was at the extreme end of good. And I don't sit there and stretch my hamstrings every day. So it's really about mobility. You're a high scorer, Craig, in all this. I was a high scorer. Um, yeah, I'm really proud of you. <laughs> there, there were some, I'm, I'm actually going deaf in my left ear. So, you know, everybody listening, don't worry. I'm not perfect. I'm going deaf in my left ears. Uh, my fingernails look really weird. Um, <laughs> so, and there are a couple of things, but, you know, aside from that, my the stuff that I could really control, I'm able to have good uh, scores in. I want to kind of close up and mention this sort of point of, you know, we talked, you talked, we talked about this, like, you know, look, less time is more. Why do you want to spend three hours doing this? You know, life is more worth living than at the gym. And, you know, that paradigm sometimes is hard to get out of, you know, obviously, and this is, this is going to change it. But I want to just touch on, we've spoken to, you know, in the whole marathon running world and the adventure racing world, um, you know, a lot of them uh, who even wrote the books on it have become, you know, type 2 diabetics based on this carbo loading. And they're all, you know, athletes are changing their paradigm of training and, and what they're ingesting and that switching. And one of the things when we've spoken to a bunch of people, their relationships have suffered because they are spending, like you talked about with the marathon running, you know, 30 hours a week. If you're, if you're a, a triathlete and you're doing all this stuff and you're on the old paradigm of training, your relationships and your family life and everything is going to suffer. And then we talked to people who made the transition and switched it up and they're now doing like one hour a week versus 30, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're still competing at a different level, but they've changed everything. And now they're like, oh my gosh. And now I'm not gone from the kids all this time. And my wife's not resentful of me because I'm never home because I'm doing this competition. And you know, it, it what a freedom. Right. Absolutely. And it's funny that you should say this. I think we all want to be free from that. All of us want to be free from this. Damn, I got to go put in three hours a day. Right. And, and, you know, we see all these people who are out there living life. You know, I'm off to salsa dancing tonight and, you know, they're fit and, and healthy and they're not worried about their body fat levels. And you're like, oh, well, I'm off to the gym for, you know, 90 minutes of cardio. I'm going to watch, you know, uh, Judge Judy in the cardio theater, cardio theater. I mean, what a oxymoron that is, right? Cardio theater. I mean, just a terrible, terrible thing that society has invented. And, you know, you don't have to live that way. And, and as you were saying, you know, people are training at high levels and getting good results with far fewer hours. And Men's Health just wrote about this in one of the most recent issues here in 2017. I'm not sure if it was February or March. They were talking about how, you know, guys are increasing intensity and decreasing volume and still being able to do very, very well marathon training. So, yeah, maybe some people are driven to do marathons, but let's train smart. That's what it's all about. It doesn't matter if you want to win the CrossFit Games, you want to win uh, a mar- you want to run a marathon, you want to be uh, awesome at pickup basketball in your neighborhood. Train smart for it. Don't do a whole bunch of stuff thinking that more is better. That's great. Tell us how we, so The Great Cardio Myth is the book we're talking about. You can find it on Amazon and I'm sure other online retailers. Your website, earlytorise.com, and we can follow you at Instagram, uh, backslash Real Craig Ballantyne. We'll put all of these links in the show notes. 
Anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, you know, it kind of picks up on what you were saying there at the end, and it ties into my other book, The Perfect Day Formula, L. Um, you know, the thing I always want to mention to people is that life is not about money and stuff or body fat levels. It's about the people you uh, love and connect with and the experiences you have with them. So think about that and be smart with your time at work and in your training so that you have more people and experiences that you look back on uh, in decades from now and say, this was the life I was meant to live. Well said. And also both of your books, The Great Cardio Myth and The Perfect Day Formula, actually are perfect to to go together. I would suggest everyone get both of them because uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of The Perfect Day Formula. We talked about it on the podcast before, obviously. I'm right in line with a lot of your thinking in that book, and I really want to promote that. I think that these two together are like a winning combo. Thank you so much. In my opinion. So thank you so much for your contribution. And um, Craig Ballantyne, thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Al. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.